Hey, um, some wow moments uh, when you look back on this last year of what God has done. Um, you think about all the goodness of 500 people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, all those people being baptized and things happening. And uh, I look now and I, I thought back, you know, after 29 years, we have nine services on four different campuses and we just started a chapel service on Sunday nights at five o'clock. So remember, if you travel, you got a chance to come back and be a part of a chapel service on Sunday night. And I get to go speak there t tonight. And in a minute, we'll show you some pictures of the chapel. And just every time I go in there, I'm reminded of God's goodness and his gratefulness. And so I just sit back and I say, wow, thank you, God, for letting me be a part of this church and being a part of this family. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever had any wow moments in your life? <laughs> or you sit back and, and some wow moments cause you to reflect and and maybe change. Some wild moments uh, just fill you with excitement and passion. Uh, I've had a few of those uh, over the last couple years, and uh, some are spiritual, some are not. Uh, but the first one that, that wasn't spiritual but sort of became spiritual was uh, I went to a, a Coldplay concert with my son at, uh, at the Rose Bowl, and uh, it was awesome, 105,000 people uh, at Coldplay and uh, when all the little wristbands went on and we all were hanging out and music started playing, it was one of those moments. And so I loved it so much that I took our creative team to San Diego uh, to see it. So I went twice and then I loved it so much that um, it was my wife's birthday. So I took her to Vancouver, British Columbia because we have friends there. And I took her to the third Coldplay concert and uh, she said that gift was way more about me than it was about her. But I, I don't believe that. But um, so I'll have to make up for that. But I saw them three times in one year and they just came out with a new album. Oh, it's really good. So like Coldplay, that's great. That was a wow moment three times. Um, yeah, my wife tells me now when I go on trips that I say it's once in a lifetime because I go to Alabama like every year to a football game. And she goes, it's your once in a lifetime trip that happens every year. That's what it is like with Coldplay now. It's once in a lifetime and I've been three times and can't wait to go again. Uh, the next wild moment was this summer. It was because of you. Uh, and I just thank you. When I served here 25 years, been here 29 now, uh, you allowed our family in our movement in India to uh, have a school. You built a school there, and it was allowed to be named uh, after our family. And so I think when we went there, and uh, they didn't just put a little plaque, but they actually just cut out the concrete wall and threw in this giant granite slab. Uh, and they just said, uh, in honor of the Matthew Cork family, and I'm in uh, Papaya Pet, India, wherever that is, in the middle of nowhere. And there's 260 kids that go to this school already, and they're getting ready to add on, and that addition will allow it to go to five or 600 kids. And they get to be educated, and life's changed, and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, I can say for me, that was a wow moment. So thank you uh, for that. I so appreciate it. I was not here in 1965 when a group of people bought the first plot of land up on the hill, 5.5 acres from, at that time, Biola College. Um, Biola owned the land here in Yorlinda, and Biola um, sold that land to us for $67,000. Thank you, Biola. We appreciate that very much. Um, but now we own over 22 acres uh, and God has blessed this church over and over again. But in 1969, uh, in April, they began plans for the new $400,000 complex. Uh, and they were raising money to build that. The pastor at the time, his name was uh, Barney Schaefer. And we have a history book that we wrote in. 
And he wrote that the approaching reality of this facility represents not only prayerful participation and dedicated planning, it represents monetary investments by individuals with a vision and opportunities they see in their community. These people are backing up their spiritual concern with their financial investment. John Parker, whose son Howard and Jody still attend our church, he was the head of the finance team, and they kicked off a $250,000 bond, and it was a drive featuring 7% interest-bearing church notes. They sold the bonds to everyone they could, recalled his son Howard, and here's what it says in the book. Finally, they got down to about the last $25,000 worth of bonds, and there was nobody left to buy them. Due to the requirements of the fundraising, they had to sell a certain amount of the bonds or the building program could not proceed. So Howard said his dad and a friend named Wayne went down to the bank and they took out a loan to buy the last $25,000 worth of bonds. And on Saturday, August 3rd, 1969, at 3 o'clock p.m., a groundbreaking service was held on the new property on top of the hill. And we today stand on the shoulders of all those people who went before us and who stood for us so that we could stand here. And I am thankful for those who've gone before us. And I don't want to ever take that for granted. There are people that mortgage their homes to buy that land and to build the first property. There are people that took out seconds on their homes because they believe not only in this church, they believe that God wanted to do something in your Belinda. And so to follow that, some 107 years later, you are part of a much bigger story. I can look back, and maybe in the moments they didn't think it was a wow moment, but I'm like, wow, that someone would mortgage their house so the house of God could be built. There was sacrifice, and there was love, and today that is why we're here. I want to tell you one more story, but I'd love for you to grab your Bibles if you have them. If not, there's going to be on the screens, but we're going to be in John chapter 3. And this was really the greatest wow moment that I saw this last year, and it happened on TV in October. And as I was watching, um, I couldn't really believe what was going on, but uh, there was a man by the name of Brant Johns. His brother was killed by a gunshot wound. He was killed by a, a, a lady named Amber Geiger, and she was being convicted of the crime in, in Texas. As Brant was speaking to her before she was being sentenced and put in prison, here's what Brant said to her. I hope you go to God with all the bad things that you have done in the past. And if you are truly sorry, I want you to know that I forgive you. And if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. He said, I am only speaking for myself. I just want you to know I love you just like anyone else. And I wasn't even going to say this today. I just want you to know that I don't even want you to go to jail for what you did. All I want is for the best for you. And the best for you is that you would give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say anything else, but I know that the best thing my brother would want you to do is to give your life to Christ as well. And then he just simply looked at her and he said, I love you. And as he said he loved her, he turned to the judge and he said, can I give her a hug? And the judge was kind of stunned and then gave him permission. And as he walked over to his convicted killer of his brother, he began to embrace her and he began to hug her and he did not let go and she did not let go. And I sat and I watched the screen and I just went, wow. 
only God. The next thing that happened before she was sentenced, if you saw it, was that the judge gave her a Bible and began to reach, read scriptures over her shoulder and point out the scriptures she needed to look at when she went into jail. In their brokenness, they offered God's goodness. In their brokenness, they showed God's strength. In their weakness, God's greatness was shown to the world. Brant and that judge were broken for good. And God used, in the midst of brokenness, good-hearted people who gave themselves over to God and said, there's nothing greater for you to make a decision on today than to follow Jesus Christ. His name was Nicodemus. From everything that we know, um, he was a pretty important man. Scripture gives us three things. He was set apart. But in verse 1 and 2, he encounters this one called Jesus Christ. And this encounter, he would never be the same. Now, there was a Pharisee, it says in verse 1, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jew Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Hey, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus, Scripture tells us he was a Pharisee, which means he was a member of the, of the Jewish sect of the day that was so strict on following all of the 631 laws that God gave them. A second thing, he wasn't just a Pharisee, but he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which means he was a distinguished man among all of the distinguished. He was at the top of his game, and in a minute, we're going to hear that his reputation was known throughout as a great man. In verse 10, Jesus tells him that he is the teacher of Israel, which basically says, you're not just in the Sanhedrin, but you're the dude. And everybody knows you. And you're pretty smart. And so it sets up everything that this guy was kind of elite. He had some things going on. And it tells us that he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Maybe he wanted to talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, teacher to teacher, rabbi to teacher. Maybe he went to him at night because... He didn't want anybody to see him going to see Jesus. Maybe his reputation would have been at stake. Maybe his Jewish leaders would have questioned, what are you doing? <laughs> Not sure why he went at night, but here's what we know for sure. He sought out Jesus. And he went to him one-on-one -on -one to have a conversation. So let me ask you, are you seeking out Jesus Are you looking to have a conversation with Jesus? This man who had it all stopped for a moment and he went towards him. And as we look out, what we need to understand is this, that it's only when we hang out with Jesus and seek him in private that we'll be able to keep us going in public and day to day. It's only in the quiet and in the private of meeting with Jesus that in the public we're able to represent him and do what he has asked of us to do. And this man, Nicodemus, at this high stature comes and he meets Jesus at night. And he tells him, hey man, you got to be of God. Because <laughs> no one could perform the signs that you're performing. And he basically says... Something's going on with you, Jesus. I'm not sure quite what it is, but I think it has to be God because nobody could do what you're doing. And I'm sure Jesus, as he's sitting there, is just going, you're absolutely right. You're sitting with God in the flesh. And it's amazing, as he said, nobody could do what you're doing. 
He was Emmanuel. We know that means God with us. And he was sitting with God in the flesh, face to face. Emmanuel. And as you seek out Jesus, Jesus didn't leave us this book as a manual, as a how-to, as a step-by-step, as a two plus two equals four. He didn't give us all the answers, but he gave us his living, breathing word that says, is sharper than a two-edged sword and it convicts and it challenges and it changes us and it draws us and it builds our relationship with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. And he says, when you are with Emmanuel, God is with you. And so Nicodemus says, hey, man, you gotta be of God. And he proclaims and tells him who he thinks he is. And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge it. Verse three, Jesus just replied, very truly I tell you, And no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He doesn't accept the compliment, but he tells him his condition. He wasn't impressed with who Nick was and all of his success. He just wants to point out his condition that you must be born again. And he points him to his heavenly father. See, Jesus knew something about Nicodemus that he knew about all mankind, that all of us are inherently sinful Scripture tells us that every one of us has fallen short of God's standard because of sin that lives in our heart and dwells within us. The Bible tells us that every heart is wicked. (laughs) And that without God and His goodness and His grace, it says we are far from Him. In John chapter 2, verse 24, right before he starts chapter 3, Jesus was doing signs and miracles and everybody was coming around Him and wanted to gather with Him and be close to Him. And here's what he says in verse 24, Jesus did not entrust Himself to them for He knew all the people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Mark says, it's not what comes into a person that defiles him, it's what comes out of a person, what's in your heart. And Jesus says, I know you guys. (laughs) You're in great need of a Savior. And he looks at Nicodemus, this religious man who had it all going on and who was successful, and he just looks at him and said, hey, Nick, let me tell you something. You want to see the kingdom of God and you want to know my Father, you're going to have to be born again. And we listen to those two words, born again. If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you might have heard it a lot. I think we might even had a bumper sticker. We saw them around, said born again in bright yellow with black leathers. Born again, and then it became kind of a cliche, but here's what he says, you must be born again. And we must understand the revolutionary nature of this metaphor. What Jesus means when he says is we must be born again is that we are so inherently sinful that no amount of work, no amount of effort, no amount of prestige, no amount of success can make us closer to God. We cannot work our way to God. God worked his way to us. Every other religion, that is on planet earth is about everyone working their way towards God or towards something. And Christianity is exactly the opposite. God worked his way down to you so that you might know him. And it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. For he gave his life and he died on a cross and he shed his blood so that you actually might live. And this life is not about you. John Calvin said it this way, by the word born again, Jesus means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole. Hence, it follows that there is nothing in us that is not defective. (laughs) That's encouraging. And he comes and he says, hey, Nick, listen up. You got to be born again. 
And what he was saying was this. You're really religious and you're completely lost. You're following all the rules and you're missing the point. You think you can do this and you can do this and the 631 and you just keep adding on it and you're holding people accountable, all of that, and you've missed the whole picture. And he comes and he says, my grace is sufficient for every one of you who would choose to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And Nick, like any of us, would just go, hey, I'm a little confused, Jesus What do you mean by being born again? How do I go back into my mother's womb? In verses 4 through 9, he he begins to ask these questions, and Jesus explains it in some detail, and I'm not going to go through it, but he starts, how can someone be born when they are old? And he ends it after Jesus gives his explanation, and he just goes again, how can this be? And then Jesus picks it up in verse 10, and he tells him who he is. Hey, you're Israel's teacher, right? Like, you're the man, and you do not understand these things? Well, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Well, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in heaven him. You know the word. You're a master teacher, but you do not know me, Nicodemus. You're the guy. You got great success. You're following the law. You're very legalistic. Good for you, but you are missing out on a relationship with me. And then Jesus connects Nicodemus back to the Old Testament because the Old Testament always connects us back to Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of what was to come. And he talks about Numbers chapter 21. And so if you have a Bible, don't turn there now because it's a long story, but you need to go home and you need to read Numbers chapter 21. Dave, turn my mic off for a second, will you? Back on. All right, so (laughs) I didn't want to do that in your ears. So Numbers chapter 21. Awesome story. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Here's what happens, and it's crazy. We all know the story of the Israelites. They're hanging out, and they're going through the wilderness. They had been rescued from slavery. They're getting ready to go to the Red Sea. And what does it say in chapter 21? It says the Israelites complain. We're tired of the water. We're tired of the food. We hate the food. It's not good. Sounds like my mom at her assisted living place. Right, Mom? Food's terrible. We're over this. We can't do it anymore. And, and what happens? God says, I'm tired of you guys complaining. He said, so I'm going to do something about it. So he sends poisonous snakes, and the poisonous snakes kill him. How many of you love snakes? Yeah, you like snakes. You're crazy. So we, <laughs> they send the poisonous snakes. They start biting people. They start dying. Moses is not happy, so what does he do? He says, God, you need to intervene. you got to do something here. And so God says, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to take one of those snakes. You need to kill it, and you need to take a bronze pole. A bronze is the medal of judgment in the Old Testament. You need to kill that snake and you need to wrap it around the bronze pole and then you need to set that pole up with the dead snake and you need to put it in the ground and every person that has been bitten by a poisonous snake, if they look at that snake, they will live. But if they do not look at that snake, they will die. And you go, well, what does that mean? Here's the picture because it was foreshadowing what was about ready to happen. What he said when you put the stake in the ground and you wrap the snake, serpent is a picture of the enemy in the Bible. It's a picture of evil. And what God was saying to Moses was the evil has been stamped out. 
And I am going to come one day and I'm going to judge all mankind. But let me tell you something. When you look at evil and you understand one day there is this one Jesus Christ who will come and he will triumph over evil and he will take evil out of this world one day and out of our hearts because we will be made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. What he was doing was giving them a picture of evil that had been snapped out. And he said, listen, you don't have to do anything, people. All you got to do is look up. And he said, one day I'm going to put my son on a cross and he's going to go to a cross and he's going to die and he's going to spread his arms and he's going to put his legs together and there's going to be nails in his hands and his feet and he's going to shed his blood and his father's going to ask you one day to look up and believe that there is one savior of the world and it is Jesus Christ who has triumphed over evil and who has stomped it out and you will be free from sin and you will be able to conquer death in eternity and sin no longer has its reign. And what he said to the Israelites, just Look at the snake, at the sin, at the enemy that controls your life and understand one thing. If you ask Jesus Christ in your heart, you're going to be free. Oh, how cool is that? You're more excited than the other two services. But go read Numbers 21. And Jesus quotes it to Nicodemus because he understood. Nicodemus knew the story, but I don't think Nicodemus understood the story like many of us. But he said, evil is gone It no longer can reign and live because Jesus Christ now reigns and lives. And as that happened, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus Christ taking on your sin and mine, he knew no sin, but he took it on so that you and I might be in right standing with God and be victorious over sin. How awesome is that? And Isaiah 45, the prophet said this, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Turn to me and you'll be saved. Look up and you'll be saved. Some of us have been trying to work our way to God for years. We've done hundreds of things to earn our salvation, but God commands us only one thing. Trust me. Believe, and you will be born again. And a minute for everyone in this room who might not have ever made a decision to follow Jesus Christ and be born again spiritually, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that because there is nothing more important on this birthday of this church than to celebrate new life in Jesus Christ with you. And we're going to give you a chance for that to happen. And so the story of Nicodemus goes and he tells him the story of Moses and the snake and the bronze pole. And then he comes to the scripture verse that we all know and we all love, but you probably never connected it to Nicodemus. And he looked at Nicodemus and these words were said for the very first time. And we see them everywhere and they get on big placards at football games. And everybody knows this verse, but do they understand the context of the story when he's looking at this religious, self-righteous man and he says, even you, Nicodemus, let me tell you something. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Nicodemus, you don't sit here with me condemned. I sit here with you and my father tells me no matter what you've done and no matter how righteous and religious you are, I love you. My father didn't just love the world. My father so loved the world that he sent me in flesh to die on a cross for you. How do you think that went? What do you think Nicodemus felt like? 
Later on in the book of John, we hear that Nicodemus' life was changed and it was turned upside down. 26 words in John 3.16. And the very middle word, right in the middle, is the word son. That he gave his one and only son. Smack dab in the center of that verse. And I think Jesus was just saying, I've come so they might be the center of your life. I come so you understand this life isn't about you, but everything centers in on me. And when you live for me, and when you surrender to me, and when you believe in me, I come into your life and I begin to change you from the inside out. And there is an abundant life waiting for you here, not just in heaven. 26 words in the center is the Son. The good news of the gospel today is that Jesus Christ wants to give you new life. And really what he was saying to Nick is, hey, Nick, You think you got it going on. But I just want to remind you, it's not about you. Matt Chandler says it like this. You are not the point. And God has not pushed all his chips in on you. He's not put the kingdom in your hands as though all the hope relies on your abilities to perform. And he says, I don't need you to perform. I don't need you to be perfect. I need you to be broken. And when you come to me broken... That's when I can do good in you and good through you. Self-righteousness is one of the most subtle sins that pervades our world. And we are taught from a young age to work hard and to be proud of our accomplishments in sports and academics and all that we do. And I tell you, that is awesome. And I push my kids in those areas. But the problem is, when it creeps into our faith... We begin to believe that God needs to accept us based on our goodness and our achievements and all that we have done. And it is the complete opposite. And I just want us to be careful this morning as believers that we don't take everyday life and what culture tells us that we got to do and we got to achieve and take it over into our faith-based life because what our faith-based life said is, I need a lot less of you and a lot more of me working in you. And that's what he says to Nicodemus today. But the question is, are we willing to admit our own inability to save ourselves? Are we willing to admit that many of us have tried to work our way to God for years and he just wants you to give up trying? (laughs) So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you as an individual and what does it mean for us as a church? Well, here's what we know about it as a church, that the church that lives for itself will die by itself. The church that lives for itself will die by itself. What does that mean? When the church becomes about everybody sitting in here and what we like and what we don't like and all the things that we hold on to so dearly, when it becomes about us, we will begin to die. And when we forget that it's about people who are really far from the one we serve and the one we say we love, when we forget that, that's when we begin to shrink up, shrivel up, and begin to pass away. Jesus comes and he says, I think he was known for two things, sacrifice and love. There's a lot of other things, but sacrifice and love. And I think, as I've already said, our church in year 107 and beyond will be known for sacrifice and love. That is my prayer, that when people walk in here, they won't experience anything else but the love of Christ. 
And I pray that his people will sacrifice and give of their time and their treasure and their talent and be a part of this community because that is when the community will be able to be all that God's called it to be. And unless Jesus does something in you individually, he's never going to be able to do anything in us corporately to the best of his ability in and through all of us because all of us as individuals have a choice to make. So what are you living for? Who is it that you live for? You might say Jesus, but does your life reflect that? So as we go forward, when you answer that question personally and you say yes to God and your life begins to reflect it, then this place begins to reflect him in greater ways. That's how it works. And at 107, you are the people in one of nine services over this weekend that God has chosen to be a part of Friends. And so he wants to use you and he wants to use us to change his world. So here are two tangible things as I wrap up today. I just believe God is looking to create more wow, wow moments in Friends Church. And I believe it's going to start right here this Christmas season. So if you've been here a while, we do this thing called Boxes of Love. And we set a crazy goal. We want to care for every foster kid in North and South Orange County and make sure they have a Christmas. You know that the last two years we've been able to do that and we've gone into Riverside County and we've taken care of more kids and we're partnering with now some more nonprofits because we've had so uh, many boxes of love given. Well, we set a bigger goal this year and we have 4,000 boxes as a goal that we want to fill. So last weekend, we took out 781 boxes. That's what you did in our first weekend. That's really good. What's really bad? There's still 3,219 that haven't gone out yet. So that's a lot of boxes. We got a lot of services, a lot of people, but here's what I want to challenge you on. The boxes of love don't go in those, those really ugly cardboard boxes and we just give them to people. We have groups of people that go and we stuff stockings and we create gifts and we take those boxes and we take all the stuff out and we fill it up and make it pretty and nice, just like you would want a nice pretty gift on Christmas, right? You don't want your husband or wife giving you a cardboard box with a bow on it, right? So we don't want that for them either. So for every foster kid... In North and South Orange County, we're going to create Christmas for them. You're going to create Christmas for them. But we have 3,219 boxes that need to go today. I asked the other two services um, if they would just take those, and then I could tell you that all of them have been taken. They did not listen to me, so I'm coming to you, and I'll come to them tonight because we have lots of boxes left. But here's what I want to ask you. If you took one box last year, way to go, good job, would you take two? If you took two, would you take four? The little junior high dude, we showed a video last year, George, he's got a goal like of 250. I'm asking George to go after 500. Okay, so <laughs> come on, let's do it. If George, the junior higher, can do 500. You can do two, right? And here's the cool part. When you're in the grocery store or when you're in the store and you're filling up the box of love and the cashier or a person asks you, what are you filling up that box for? Here's what you get to say. Our church is taking care of every foster kid in North and South Orange County so that they have a Christmas. And you end it there. You don't have to say, are you a Christian? Let me give you the four spiritual laws. Do you know Jesus? You must be born again. No, just show his love and leave it at that. And then they're going to go, wow, what church do you go to? And you're going to say, I go to Friends Church. Yes, and then they might come and hear the good news and the hope of Christ. So you got something to do today. You're going to walk outside to the tents, and if you grab one, you're going to grab two. If you grab two, you're going to grab four. If you grab 250, you're grabbing 500. And we're going to get rid of those boxes, all right? Wow. Not sure you were really with me there for a minute. 
<laughs> Thanks for laughing, Jen. <clears throat> um, at 107 years, uh, Jen was right. I, I do love this place. But I love it because anytime we, we ask, you step up. It might take a little grind here and there, but you, you step up. I've never um, really ever walked on this church after we've had conversation about needs that people's needs haven't been met. When you're connected to this place, I've, I've never heard one of our staff members went in for surgery and I went, Monty and I went over to his house for lunch on Friday and we were having lunch and he goes, I cannot tell you how many people came to the hospital to see me and to pray for me and to anoint me with oil. And he goes, this church family is awesome and he's connected. Man, his wife was overwhelmed and I just, I just say, that's who you are. And so when we meet this goal of 4,000, you just need to understand your small sacrifice is going to make a, a bigger difference than you could ever imagine. And on your boxes of love card that you got when you came in, there's some questions there. And, and some of you are already foster families. And we would love for you just to kind of um, uh, look on the back and fill it out if you already are a foster family uh, and, and what that's about. But we want you to know that um, we got some amazing opportunities, not just to give gifts, but to help foster kids find a home. We not only have a chance to make boxes, but you need to also understand with that, we have serving days. Daily, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., we're stuffing stockings. You can just go online and sign up. But I, I walk through the loading dock downstairs, and it's packed with stuff for Christmas. And there's ladies down there all the time. No men yet, but there's going to be some men. And so 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., every day, they're stuffing all those boxes and, and converting them. And then we're going to have a wrap party. Not with AJ, but like a wrap party, <laughs> like you wrap it. And that's going to be Saturday, December 7th from 9 a.m. to 12. And we're going to take all those and you're going to wrap them and we're going to celebrate and we're going to pray over them and then you're going to send them out. But not only that, there are people in this church that have gone way beyond themselves that didn't just give a box of love, but they gave themselves to adopt a foster child. And Dave and Sandy um, have been at this church for a long time and I love because I didn't know this about them until I watched the video about what they did and what they sacrificed because they're kind of the quiet servants in the background and they serve faithfully here for years. And I would love for you just to watch this story of how they adopted Austin into their family and then we'll come back up and we're going to give you a chance for those of you who have never made a decision to be adopted into God's family to pray a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and so you can call him Father and you can be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Take a look at the screens and watch Austin's story. I was a little boy, young, athletic, normal, healthy. Um, I don't remember much, but I remember flashbacks with my parents on the couch. Um, my mom, my dad. Most thing I remember is looking at my mom, her holding me. She was on the couch, just smiling. That was like the first beautiful picture I could recall in my head. I remember seeing times when my dad would swing at my mom. I just remember people in suits coming into the house. My sisters were, they were taken um, along with me. And we were split in different homes.
So about 14, 15, I, I was explained to what foster care was and that it, it was very simple. It was told it was a program. The younger you are, the more chance you have of getting a family. Um, babies got first, uh, adolescents right after babies. No one wants a kid that's already broken and troubled. And me and most of the kids there didn't get adopted. We were passed on to group homes after we became too much of an issue there um, or after it got too full. And we were the oldest kids. As in oldest, I mean like eight, nine, ten. We always had the heart to serve the Lord, and you know the Bible is very clear about taking care of the widows and the orphans. To me, it's it's a command. So getting matched up with Austin, I think it was a, you know the hand of God that did that. You know, learning about the foster system and all the things they go through, I wanted to get to know those kids and to help any way we can. I met Sandy David about right before I was 13. They had signed up for a program. It's called the CASA program. It's like having a big brother take you out. You know what I mean? It's, it's that. Believe it or not, it's that one escape that makes a difference, you know? Sandy David had tried so hard just adopt me right off the bat. For some reason, there's something within me that was blocking me to having a mom and dad. Because the feeling of love is not something I'm used to, you know? It felt so right and pure and safe that it scared me, you know? When you run from the people who have kept you under control, isolated for your whole life, what's to run after that from yourself? Because then you're left with yourself. You're left with the brokenness that you are. You're left with the pain and misery that you've accumulated over the years. Um, I, I finally just accepted them for what they were, you know? My mom and my dad, the people I loved that were always there, that didn't leave. Um, from the moment I met them, they were always there. They saved me. You know, he, he tells us how much we've meant to him in his life. But what he's taught us has been incredible. It's just the greatest blessing. We've been through so much with him. We've been through it together. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the greatest accomplishment in my life is he's our son. Ephesians 1 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and all understanding. Today, if you cannot say that you are a child of God, he is saying that you are his child and he is welcoming you into his family. He just simply says all you have to do is believe. 
on uh, Halloween, October 31st, uh, my daughter and I were going on a, a little trip, and it's too long of a story to tell, so I'll just shorten it down, but um, we were traveling a far away away, and we were about almost two hours from home, and uh, we just went into Starbucks to go to the bathroom, and we came out less than five minutes later, and our car had been broken into, and my backpack uh, was stolen and the you know windows busted out and so my iPad my computer my phone my ID everything my my Bible this am I good this I'm, I'm looking at this Bible it's not my good Bible I mean it's a good Bible but it's not my good Bible and I can't even read these words my glasses I have these cheap glasses I can't even see so everything was taken and, and so then we we, we go and we, we put a tarp and masking tape and tried to do a little, you know, fix it so we could drive back over the grapevine and go home. And it was freezing and windy on that day. I don't know if you remember. And so uh, we're driving up and, and the tarp blows out the window and it's hanging out the window and it's just flapping. And Ella's taking a video of it. And um, she was really sad that day because she was 16 and we were going to get her license. And so um, this was happening. And so I just looked at her and I said, hey, Ella, uh, we rolled down the windows and we drove home and it was freezing and, and we turned the music up loud and I just said, we're going to make the best of it and we listened to Coldplay and it was great. <laughs> and that's not a joke, we did. And it was great. And I said, we're going to make the best of it. And I said, you know what the best thing is, Ella? I said, if you'd have told me I got to spend the day with you, worth it. Because stuff, it's computer, it's phone replaceable. I think that's what God feels about you. He says, I want to call you a son. I want to call you a daughter. Come on, Nicodemus. All you got to do is believe. Quit thinking you got to work your way. I'm just here and I love you. So today, I got to look at my daughter and I said, stuff, it all goes away. But we're going to thank God that you and I are okay and we're going to have fun, and it's going to be an okay day. And so here's what you need to know. This world's going to end. You didn't know it. It's kind of sucky many days if you didn't know that. But God's victorious. He wins in the end. And there's a place called eternity that he says that I've separated for you. In my Father's house, there's a place for you. And he says today is the day of your salvation. All you got to do is say, I believe. So today, if you've not made a decision for Jesus, it's your day. And we're going to celebrate your spiritual birthday on our 107th birthday because we can't wait for you to become a son or a daughter of the Most High God.